So this morning we're kicking off this Advent series and the question we're going to be kind of talking about is what is the true meaning of Christmas? I don't know if you've asked your phone that lately. I did. I said, hey Siri, anybody? What is the true meaning of Christmas? And she told me and she got it right. Like she said that it means the annual Christian festival celebrating Christ's birth held on December 25th in the Western Church. Like when asked that question, if you're not Siri, most people tend to give like more emotional kind of answers like, well, you know, it's about peace on earth and goodwill toward men. It's, it's about family and friendships and love and kindness and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's about presents and gifts, certainly. And none of those answers are like terrible. They're just missing something, right? They're missing a, a certain someone, the someone that Christmas is all about. Like Christmas is all about Jesus, Siri got it right, all right? It's, it's a celebration of the birth of Christ and all of us in here, like we know that, like we're not surprised, right? Wait, wait a minute, Christmas is about Jesus? Like you're not surprised by that, like we all get that, but you, remember, you did not discover that for yourselves, like you didn't just figure that out because you're just that smart. It's not intuitive. Someone had to tell you. A mom and a dad, a Sunday school teacher, a friend, you had to read it in a book. That information came from outside of you. You see, to discover the true meaning of Christmas, you really have to open your Bible. And so if you get your Bible out and you, and you start a search about Christmas, maybe you start in the New Testament, uh, say, for example, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. And as you open Matthew's Gospel, you're going to hear the writer of that Gospel say again and again and again that the story of Christ actually begins much, much earlier. In fact, 750 years before Matthew wrote his gospel account, a prophet named Isaiah wrote about the way that the world would be at the time of the appearance, the arrival of the Messiah. He writes in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times. And so Isaiah begins this famous section of Scripture that speaks about the birth of the Messiah, the, the child that's born for us and the son that is given to us. He begins his prophecy about the birth of Christ with gloom. Gloom in a distressed land. And the word nevertheless. And so let's just back up a little bit and see what he's referring to. Like what's the context of the arrival of the Son of God? He writes a few verses earlier in Isaiah 8 verse 19. He says, when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter, shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Shouldn't they not, should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Like, guys, this is the spiritual climate 
that Jesus stepped into. This is the spiritual climate of the world and specifically of Israel at the time of Christ. People, even God's people, were looking for answers, looking for solutions to the problems. They were looking for hope in all the wrong places. And so in verse 20, it says, go to God's instruction and testimony. If you're looking for answers, if you want to know what's what, like look to God's instruction, look to his testimony. And then he says, if they do not speak according to this word, like the message you're getting from a prophet or a teacher or a rabbi or a leader, if they're not speaking according to this word, there is no dawn for them. Like if what they're saying does not accord with the word of God, if they don't trust God's word, Isaiah says they're completely in the dark. They just don't get it. Like the gloom and the darkness that Isaiah is writing about is spiritual darkness. Like the sense that maybe there's something out there, but I have no clue as to how to get to it. It's spiritual darkness, spiritual blindness. And as, as a result of this darkness, verse 20, 21, it says, they will wander through the land. And here's the emotional state, the spiritual state of Israel. They will wander through the land dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. So in the midst of their great need, in the midst of their spiritual hunger and thirst, in the midst of their hopelessness, instead of seeking God, instead of crying out to God, they curse God. Like they don't want to have anything to do with God. They are tired of waiting for God's solutions. They're tired of hoping like for what they consider to be empty promises. They have lost all hope. And then they blame God for it. It says in verse 22, they will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. Hear this. What's going on? This is the context of Israel at the time of the arrival of Christ on the scene. Like you have these people who are in great spiritual need. And where do they look to with their, for answers, for hope? for a solution to their spiritual need. They're in great spiritual need, but the people look toward the earth. They're, not, they're now relying kind of on their own resources, on their own solutions. Like they're relying on themselves to fix their problem. Like they're looking to everything and everyone except their God for answers, for solutions, for hope. They're saying things like, sure, these are dark times, but you know what? We'll figure this out. We can fix this. We need just to rally the troops. We need to come all, all together. There's a light that is within all of us. We just need to light a candle, you know, get a spark going. We just need to trust in our leaders. We need to trust in our 
armies. We need to trust in our wisdom. We need to trust in our history. We need to trust in everything except God. And yet the darkness, according to this passage, only grows. It only gets worse. It says they will be driven into thick darkness. You know, few things capture the idea of just utter hopelessness like in the Scripture, like this concept of darkness. I mean, we know that. We get that. Remember last March when all the lights went out? Like if you're at home and you have small kids and the lights go out like during the summer because, you know, of overuse or whatever, they flicker, they go out, you know they're going to come back on. It's kind of fun. Right? It's kind of an adventure. You light a few candles. You read a book. You tell a story. You put their kids, your kids to bed. And in the morning, they wake up and the lights are back. The air conditioning's back. But last March, the lights went out. And the heat went out. And our cars wouldn't start. And the lights stayed out. And like at my house, I couldn't even get a cell signal. I couldn't even call anybody. I had to walk up the street just to be able to try to connect. And even then, I guess the towers were just overloaded. I can imagine like these people, they're in a point of hopelessness and despair. And the person to whom they should go to for answers is the only person they have said, that's not the answer. We're not going to go there anymore. And so they're looking toward the earth for answers that only God can give. It says thick darkness here. Like thick darkness is where this messianic prophecy like picks up. It says, in the midst of this thick darkness, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former days when he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. Like this isn't like the olden days. This won't be like the the former times of national judgment on Israel. We know it's dark. We know it's bleak. We know it's bad. But it's not like the olden days. God is now actually allowing the darkness so that when the light finally arrives, when He appears, it will shine all the brighter. But in the future, He will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. And here it is. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Have any of y'all put your Christmas lights up on your house yet? Like the older we get at my house, the lower the lights go. Like we have no lights like above about right here in our, like they're right down on the ground. It's safe down there. I won't fall off a ladder if I'm down there, right? But when the lights go up, the Christmas lights go up in your neighborhood, like you know that Christmas is really almost here unless you got that neighbor who just puts up lights all the time, right? Like we know it's a time of Christmas and this is actually powerful symbolism from the scripture. Like the idea of a light at Christmas is powerful, powerfully symbolic, and it comes from passages just like this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And what is 
this great light that Isaiah foretold would be seen by those living in Galilee of the nations? It's Jesus. In fact, he goes on to explain it. He says, for a child will be born for us and a son will be given to us. The child is born into this world, but the son is given because he has already existed for all of eternity. And so for the next four weeks, as we travel through the Advent season, we're going to be looking at like what is the true meaning of Christmas beyond the fact that Christmas is that annual Christian festival celebrating Christ's birth on December 25th in the Western Church. Because we all know that, right? But what we're going to be doing is, I want us to ask a question that maybe you don't ask about Christmas a lot. And the question is, why? Like, why was Jesus born? Like, what's the point of all of this? Because even people who know that, that Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Christ are often confused as to why Jesus came in the first place. They have their ideas, they have their opinions, but what we're going to do in this series is we're going to answer this question. Why did the Father send His Son into the world? Why did the Father send His Son into the world? Like why, according to Jesus himself, right? Because he's the one who should know. Why, according to Jesus himself, was he born? Well, Jesus tells us in John 12, 46, he says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You see, the promise of Isaiah 9-2 is fulfilled by Jesus. This was his actual purpose for coming. Like he knew this. He was not surprised by why he was on the earth. Jesus came to bring light to a dark world. That's why he came. If you were to ask Jesus why he was born, he would say, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The world is a dark place, and I have come to turn the light on. See, Jesus came to bring light to a dark world for a world that had stopped looking for answers, for a world that had stopped looking up for hope or for truth. God came down. That's the message of Christmas. Like that's worth celebrating. That's worth arranging your life and your calendar around for a world that had stopped looking up. God came down. You see, Jesus came into the world as light because all of us are so spiritually blind we could never find God without Him. There is no light that is within us. We needed a light that was brought to us on His arrival. Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Like Jesus came as light because we needed it. That's what Tim Keller writes when he says, uh, 
Christmas contains many spiritual truths, but it will be hard to grasp the others unless we first grasp this one. That is, that the world is a dark place, and we will never find our way or see reality unless Jesus is our light. You know, last year on Christmas Eve, I got up and I said to our church, to y'all, this year, like this year, we need Christmas more than ever. In fact, I, I said that in 2020, we watched our lives play out like a movie that none of us would pay to go see, right? Like it was a sad and depressing time. But you know what? In hindsight, 2020 uh, was more like getting a bad report from the doctor. Like we were still in shock, but it was more like losing someone suddenly, unexpectedly. You see, that was 2020. We had never expected anything like a worldwide pandemic. Now, on the other hand, 2020 has been like a protracted illness hasn't it? Like we have our diagnosis and it's bad. In fact, it's terminal. But we're still here waiting and waiting for the inevitable. And that's become our new normal. That's become our expected. And so can I just tell you, this year, we need Christmas more than we did last year. Guys, this year we need hope that doesn't come from Washington or from Pfizer. Like we need hope that doesn't come from looking toward the earth. Hope that cannot come to us horizontally. Like we need a light in our darkness. And so for those of you who read with us the Unfolding Grace book uh, at the beginning of this year for 40 weeks, like you've seen this whole concept, this whole idea of light and darkness as a metaphor played out over and over and over again through the scripture. In fact, the very first recorded words by God as he speaks over the darkness and over the stillness of uh, creation, he says, let there be light. And there was light. And so throughout the scripture, when used as a metaphor, not when used like literally, like in that case, but when used as a metaphor, darkness is used to illustrate like spiritual ignorance. You just don't get it. You've got a cloud of darkness over your eyes. You're just blind. It's used to illustrate rebellion against God, like people who live in the deeds of darkness. It's used to illustrate the sinfulness of our own hearts and the choices that we make. We're enslaved to darkness and it's used to illustrate the coming judgment. What Jesus refers to as the outer darkness that is coming for anyone who rejects the light. That's the darkness in Scripture. In uh, Proverbs chapter 4, it says the way of the wicked is like a deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. 
In contrast to that, in Scripture, the light is used to illustrate illumination in the sense of the dawning of truth or understanding. Like you just kind of get it. You're like, oh my goodness, how did I miss that? That's because of the light. It's used to illustrate the comfort that comes from the warmth that light brings or the cleansing and purification that it provides or it speaks of holiness or glory. In Proverbs 4, it also says that the path of the righteous are like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Can you remember when the light came on for you? Like, can you still remember what it was like to be in darkness? And like God turned on the light and you had that aha moment and you're like, how did I miss this? How did I never understand this? Like the time that the gospel finally made sense and you had clarity about the cross. Can you remember that? Can you remember what it was like to still be enslaved to darkness? You know, Psalm 119 says in verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. You know, this verse finds its ultimate, and I think it's perfect and complete fulfillment in Christ. In fact, we read in John chapter 1, the passage y'all hopefully, if you did the Advent study, looked at this week. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse 9, John writes this, The true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Like in the context of John chapter 1, what we're seeing here is that this glorious, like eternal, holy, magnificent, blinding, terrifying light, the light that created every other light was about to arrive on planet Earth. I mean, this is awesome in the true sense of that word awesome, which means that there's this mixture of excitement and terror at the same time. Like this is the light that said, let there be light. Like this is the one who by his very nature as light <laughs> defines all of the lesser lights, you know, lesser lights like the sun like the stars, like our sun, guys, is so vast, it's so huge that you could fit one million of our earths just inside of it. And that's a lesser light. Like the largest known star by size is called UY Scuddy. And you could fit inside of it three billion 690 million of our suns. That's how huge it is. Now, the largest star by mass, 
or by weight, is called R136. It doesn't even get a name. Just R136. And it's 320 times the mass or weight of our sun. It also shines 10 million times brighter than our sun. Like it it outshines our sun as much as our sun outshines the moon. Now, guys, with that in mind, in John 1, who is about to arrive on planet Earth? Well, the one who made R136 is about to arrive on planet Earth. The true light that outshines all the other lights. The Son of God outshines R136 more than R136 outshines a lump of coal. And he's about to arrive. But this is where the story in John's Gospel takes a really strange turn. Because the true light as He comes into the world doesn't shine in the way that we would expect. In verse 10 it says, He was in the world and the world was made through Him. Yet, the world did not know Him. He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. Why? How could they not recognize Him? Well, we're told in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, although He is in very nature God, did not account equality with God something to be held on to. Instead, it says He emptied Himself. That He humbled Himself. And so as I, as I read this, it's easy for me knowing the whole story of the life of Jesus, to look at the people of Israel in judgment and think, what is wrong with these clueless idiots? Like, how could they miss the Son of God, the Messiah, all the prophecies that said where He would be born, when He would come, what He would be like, what His nicknames would be. Like, they told us so much. How did they miss this? And yet, the only thing they really knew 2,000 years ago was that virgins did not have babies, right? Kings are not born in stables. God does not ever humble Himself. And they knew that when a light shines out of darkness, you can't help but notice it. Unless, of course, you're blind, which was the issue. John goes on to say, verse 12, even though His own people didn't receive Him, it says, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. See, Jesus had come to bring light to a very dark world. But Jesus doesn't simply provide like some illumination so that we can see what we're doing now and that we can fix our own problems. That's what the world says. The world says what, the, what we really need, like what we really need to fix our problems is education. Like all we need is education. And then we can fix all the ills of mankind. All we need is love. And we can fix the problems of mankind. All, all we need is a hand up and some help. And yet our problems grow, our guys are much deeper than that. The darkness isn't simply out there in the world. 
According to the scripture, the darkness is inside of each one of us. In John 3, it says that the light has come into the world. This is Jesus speaking. But people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. Can you even imagine? The light of the world has shown up. The light of the world stepped down into the darkness of this world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Guys, we're like cockroaches. The light comes on and we scatter. God speaks and we flee. Instead of looking up for hope, we look down toward those around us. But here's the good news. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness for a world that had stopped looking up for hope. God came down. Like that's the message of Christmas. That's what it's all about. It's like Jesus is the light. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the answer. The message of Christmas is not, hey guys, the light's on now, so get your act together. That's not a message of hope. That's a message of religion. Try harder, run faster, do better. But the message of Christmas is the light has come. Follow him. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Guys, when you understand Christmas, what it's really about, you really understand the gospel. Why did the Father send his Son into the world? Well, this is why the light of the world stepped down into darkness in order to call us out of our darkness and into his marvelous light. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of Christmas. The light of the world stepped down into our darkness in order to call us out of that darkness and into his marvelous light. See, without the light of the world, you would never know truth from error, right from wrong. Without the light of the world, you would never know freedom from slavery. Without the light of the world, you would never even know yourself. You would spend the rest of your life blaming all of your problems on culture, on family, on education, on lack of things or things that have been done to you. Without the light of Jesus, you would never see that your biggest problem is you, is your own heart, is your need for redemption. Guys, finally, without the willing extinguishing of the light of the world, because that's what the cross was all about, without the willing extinguishing of the light of the world, you could never have even hoped of finding God. It just would not have happened. You see, here's the gospel. On the cross, as Jesus hung there, 
as the, the light of the world hung upon the cross, darkness fell all over the land. Why? Because the outer darkness that we deserve to be cast into was falling on him. You see, that's the message of the cross. That Jesus, in our place, bore what we deserve so that for all eternity, we would get what only He deserves. Like on the cross, as darkness fled over the land, the outer darkness of your sin fell on Jesus. And here's the great news. As Michael read last week, it was God, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I want us to bow our heads for prayer in a moment. As the band plays this next song, you're going to come up to the front and get your elements of communion, the cup, and take those back to your seat. And then we're going to Take communion together after this song. Let's pray. Light of the world, you step down into the darkness of this world so that you could call us out of our enslavement to us, enslavement to sin, that you could call us out of our darkness and into your marvelous light. Lord, we thank you for that truth. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the gospel table that we're going to experience together as a church family. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Pastor John MacArthur writes these words. He says, here's a side of the Christmas story that isn't often told. Those soft little hands fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb were made so that nails might be driven through them. Those baby feet, pink and unable to walk, would one day walk up a dusty hill and be nailed to a cross. That sweet infant's head with sparkling eyes and eager mouth was formed so that someday men might force a crown of thorns onto it. And that tender body, warm and soft, wrapped in swaddling clothes, would one day be ripped open by a spear. Jesus was born to die. In the month of December, we'll be celebrating communion every Sunday because communion really captures what Christmas is all about. Communion captures why God sent His Son into the world as a light to the nations. You know, it, it's, it's interesting that when Paul writes to the Corinthian church uh, because of excesses to how they celebrated communion, he tells him that as often as you take this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. I, have you ever met anybody who lost somebody really near and dear to them? Like a spouse or a 
parent or a sibling, either through death or uh, maybe a spouse through divorce. And years later, that message of what happened to them still kind of consumes them. Like, I, I know people who lost somebody 20 years ago, and yet if you're in a conversation with them for five minutes, they're going to bring that up. I mean, it is, it's a downer, right? So why do we proclaim the Lord's death 2,000 years later? Because the death of Christ was not a tragedy. It was a victory. On the cross, Jesus won the nations for Himself. He defeated the enemy and the light of the gospel shined clearer than ever. And so we come every Sunday of this month to this table and we're reminded that as Jesus took the bread and broke it, He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took that cup. To the astonishment of his disciples, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, light of the world, we thank you for the victory of the cross that this table represents and the fact that we can come and partake of you, that we can be in your presence during this time and remember what you have done for us, what the cross is all about and what Christmas is all about. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. So, uh, do you know anybody who this holiday season is hopeless? Like, are you hopeless? Like, do you have that sense of, like, despair or hopelessness as you look at the world that we live in? Because, guys, it's, it's messed up. Like, the COVID gifts just keep on coming, don't they? I, I have found, and this is just, just, just for me, not a, a sermon for y'all. I'll just preach it to Bobby. I have found that for me, when I lose hope, it's because I'm either looking at the wrong place for my hope or to the wrong thing as my hope. I'm either looking down like those in Israel at the time of Christ. I'm looking on the earth for my solutions. Fauci, save me. Right? Or I'm looking at the definition of hope in the completely wrong way. My hope isn't what the world says it is. Like, guys, my life is going to end one day. If Jesus does not return before my death, I will die and so will you. Life is hard, but our hope is Christ. Like the light of the world stepped down into this dark world to rescue you, to bring the message of the gospel to you. That is good news. And this day, like I've said before, we'll look back on it and it'll be like a, a bad day at the beach in light of eternity.
because that's where we get to go. That's where we'll spend forever and ever in His presence with our brothers and sisters, the communion of the saints. And so with that said, we're going to have some elders and their wives down front if anyone needs to talk or pray. But I hope you have a wonderful uh, week and do a little Christmas shopping. God bless the church.